Previously on Mona's Isle. This is your captain wishing you a very pleasant journey to the Isle of Man with us this afternoon. What are you drawing? Mananin. He's got a cloak of mist that makes the island invisible to invaders. And he has a magic boat called the Wave Sweeper. It's going to be like this the whole trip, isn't it? He's going to go on about all Mum's stories about Mananin, the fairies and all that rubbish. Rory, you and I are going for a walk. But... Now. You won't see much through this, boy. It's the cloak. Mananin's cloak. It protects the island from invaders. That's right. And why is it you're coming to our little island? We're going to stay with our, my Granny Mona. Then you better be telling your Granny Mona this. There's a storm coming, boy. I can feel it. It'll be just in time for Parish Day, I'd reckon. journeys didn't come naturally to Ashley. Certainly not ones on winding roads right after being churned around on a boat for a few hours. Can I put the window down? I think I'm going to be sick. Take some deep breaths, Ashley. You'll be fine. They hadn't hit 45 miles per hour since leaving the harbour, and the mist was so thick in places that he could barely make out the taillights of the tractor that they were stuck behind. After what seemed like an age, a turning marked for Mackled appeared, and Artie made a sharp right turn into a great mass of overgrown hedgerow. From here on, the car lolloped and smacked its way over monstrous potholes, right the way down to the tiny village where Granny Mona had for some unfathomable reason chosen to live out her entire life. Dad! They were only one short road away now. Through the flick of the windscreen wipers, they caught a glimpse of the small patch of village green in front of the old church, and a board nailed to a post reading, Welcome to our parish, and below it, Mackled Youth Club. The laminated letters had clearly seen the worst of the Manx weather, making them appear more of a threat than a greeting. An even narrower dirt track wound around the churchyard and threatened to use up all that was left of the car's suspension. Somewhere along, a stone gatepost was supposed to announce the end of Lighthouse Road and the start of Mona's driveway, but it had long since been lost to the elements. Artie was not convinced a sign was really needed anyway, since it was relatively impossible to miss. If it weren't for Mona's house, the road would just have been a straight route off the edge of the earth. Mona's Isle. You're listening to Mona's Isle, a bewitching tale of adventure and folklore told by me, Kyle Withington, and a host of the Isle of Man's finest actors. So settle in for the Manx myths, mystery and magic set to unfold. This is episode two. The Thunderbolt. Mona lived out on the headland behind Mackled Church, 
looking out over the village in one direction and the Irish Sea to the other. As far as Artie knew, for the entire time she'd raised Claire, Mona had been the only person to live on the cliff's edge. Before this, the house had existed as lodgings for the lighthouse, put there to stop ships from foundering to the north of the island. Nowadays, no sane person would think to live in such a place. And that being said, no one had ever dared to accuse Mona of being sane. He brought the car to a halt, and both of the rear doors swung open. On the one side, Rory's door caught in the wind, dragging her face first into the grassy verge. On the other side was Ashley, who was dangerously close to throwing up all over the driveway. Ashley paused for a moment to enjoy being back on solid ground. The rain from the boat had settled into a bracing gale. Although it was brisk, as the man in the yellow raincoat had predicted, no storm had yet arrived. The sea air whistled about the rocky outcrops of the headland and combed through his tangled hair. He was a little taken aback that Granny's house looked smaller than he'd remembered. Perhaps it was because he'd been that much smaller himself when they'd last visited. The place was built in the same way as a lot of the old farmhouses he'd seen on the drive from Douglas. On its front were five small windows and a door set deep into the white-painted stone walls each as thick as castle ramparts. The kitchen was around the back, with its windows all pointing out toward the lighthouse and the sea. What he couldn't remember were the signs now riveted to the heavy iron fencing that wrapped around the stone steps to the lighthouse. It read, Property of the Lighthouse Association, and No Trespassing, Keep Out. I told you there was no signal here. Rory was waving her console around in the air indignantly, like some sort of magic wand. Put that thing away and grab some bags. Ashley didn't stick around long enough to listen to his sister's inevitable complaints about unfairness. The only perk of his car sickness was not being obliged to help their dad unpack the car. As he got closer, he could see all the windows were wide open. Nailed to Granny's front door was a large rabbit's head. It wasn't a real one, of course, but a fairly disconcerting cast in use as the door's knocker. It looked old and weather-worn, with the exception of the eyes, where some sheen of the original brass still glinted through. Finding that there was no doorbell, Ashley went to wrap the rabbit's head against the door. Before his hand could get to it, it lifted on its own accord, tapping lightly at first, then again and again as the wind took hold of it. With a final tap, the door swung on its hinges and opened into the house. Granny? There was no reply, but for the whoosh of billowing curtains and the flicking pages of last month's TV guide. Mona? Ashley looked around to see his dad and Rory set the bags down by the door. Mona, we're here. Artie brushed past him. Lights on. No one home. That sounds about right for Mona. It was certainly odd, but then so too was his granny. Ashley felt sure that she wouldn't have disappeared for long. There were still embers dancing about in the big Inglenook fireplace, and the dining table had already been set with four places. The wind seemed to settle for a moment, and in the brief quiet, 
Ashley heard a faint murmuring from somewhere deeper in the house. Thankfully, it appears the storm we predicted has passed us by for today. He ran across the lounge, down the corridor, flew past the old clock at the base of the stairs, and straight to the mottled glass door leading to the kitchen. He found the source, a voice, distorted and crackly. It was coming from an old radio, sat contentedly on the countertop, reading out the weather forecast to a pot of boiling broccoli. We'll be back with the forecast for later in the week, just after seven o'clock. Crikey! Artie shouted, jumping to turn down the gas on the stove to stop the broccoli water bubbling over the sides. Ashley had almost forgotten how strange the smell was in Granny's kitchen. Deeply embedded in the gnarled lino was her signature blend of nettle tea, decade-old gravy granules, and that distinct mustiness of an old community hall. The thick waft of seaweed, however, was a new addition. The hatches on the wide window at the far end of the room were all open and thrashing about in the briny breeze. Since when did Granny have a cat? Rory was staring at a small white and ginger mound perched on one of the chairs around the kitchen table. Ashley had mistaken it for a cushion. It doesn't have a tail. Dad, why doesn't it have a tail? Don't think that's a sensible question to ask in this house. A quizzical eye emerged from the fluff. Deciding the three of them were unlikely to pose a threat, nor any offering of food, it curled back into itself, just like they'd found it. This little ball of fur was just about the only warmth to be enjoyed in the whole drafty house. His dad left to continue the search for Granny. Will one of you keep an eye on the pan? You know how Granny likes her greens? Soft enough to spread. Rory immediately delegated all responsibility for this, as was her usual style. She instead wandered over to the kitchen table to bother the perfectly content cat. Realising that it had become the centre of her attention, it leapt down from the chair and scampered away down the corridor. Ashley assumed she would run away after it, but Rory had stopped in some sort of a trance. Moving closer, he could see that the table was strewn with cuttings of old frayed fabrics. This, in itself, was not an uncommon sight, as Granny was forever chipping away at some craft project or other. But something about this particular spread had caught Rory quite off guard. Amongst the mess were many small triangles, all neatly hemmed and attached to a strand of white ribbon, so long that it actually draped off the table and into a large plastic bucket on the floor. Next to this was a sash and a photograph. Ashley picked it up to take a closer look. It was old and a little washed out, but it looked like the photo was of a young girl. She was wearing the sash from the table and dressed in a pale blue pinafore in front of row upon row of colourful triangles. There were flowers in her hair and something about its red-brown colour was very familiar. This is Mum. He hadn't ever seen a picture of his mum as a young girl before, but it was unmistakable. It was there in her eyes. Ashley flipped the picture over, and on the back were a few scribbles. Claire, Parish Day, 1999. Parish Day? There's a storm coming, boy. I can feel it. It'll be just in time for Parish Day, I'd reckon. Wasn't that what the man on the boat had said? 
What's Parish Day? Rory didn't answer, and Ashley put the picture in his pocket. As he looked up, she was looking him dead in the eyes. Ashley! The pan! The water from the broccoli pan was erupting, but help was already at hand. Taking the pan off the heat was a very familiar cotton ball of grey hair held in place with a yellow biro. Well now, they're just about done. Granny! Where have you lot been? You should knock before you go snooping around an old lady's kitchen. Ashley didn't know what to say. Had Rory noticed her come in? It was a bit odd, but he didn't suppose it mattered. He ran up to his granny and gave her a big hug, and she ruffled his hair in her fingers a bit, like he was some big cat. All the while, granny was looking straight down at the floor. For a second he wasn't sure what she was looking at, until he noticed that the lights on his shoes were flashing. His dad had insisted that they were just another useless gimmick, but he wanted to spend his birthday money on them all the same. They got a little muddy, and he wondered whether Granny was going to tell him to take them off, but she was smiling, as if for a second she wasn't entirely sure where she was. Always wanted a pair like that myself. The best greeting that Rory managed was a grunt. Ashley wasn't too sure that Granny would have a similar compliment in reserve for her combat boots. Don't you be thinking you're too old for a hug, young lady. Granny beckoned her in with the hand that wasn't at work undoing Ashley's curls. Rory sheepishly joined the hug. Although it was a bit awkward and Granny's lavender perfume was a tad too potent, Ashley felt something that he hadn't felt in a long time. Like he was part of a family. Those precious few seconds ground to a halt as his dad burst his way back into the kitchen, completely unaware of what he was interrupting. Where on earth have the cases gone? Oh, don't fret so much, Artie. They're up in your rooms. Mona? <laughs> How the... I put you a copy of today's courier on your nightstand. Save your nick and me crossword for a change. Ashley watched his dad's face as he scrambled to make sense of how Granny had somehow managed to get three large suitcases up two flights of stairs without any of them noticing. The wind picked up again and blew some of the fabric triangles off the table and across the room. One landed on Rory's boot and she kicked it away. Been blowing a retooly out there. A lot of the phrases their mum used she'd learned from Granny Mona. As well as telling them some of the things the Manx said, their mum also taught them some of the ground rules for what you should never say. Chief among these was the three-letter word for rodents like mice but larger with hairless tails. The mere utterance of this word around Granny would have been a grave mistake. The only acceptable words were longtail or ringies. Otherwise, it brought awfully bad luck. From what he remembered, Blowing a hooli meant there was a strong wind. Mona, why do you have all the windows open? They were predicting a storm, Artie. A storm? Aye. Granny went quiet as if this were explanation enough. His dad clearly wasn't satisfied. After all, the place was freezing. And why would you want your windows open in a storm? He asked with a hint of dread for whatever answer would come his way. Mona peered indignantly at Artie over the rims of her glasses. Well now, if a thunderbolt's going to come down that chimney flue in the lounge, how do you expect it to find its way out? For once, his dad had no reply. 
Granny... Oh, don't go saying you're a vegetarian. No, Granny, uh, I... Well, thank goodness for that. Because we're having spuds and errin. I've not cooked anything else. Ashley tried again. The storm's not coming today. A man on the boat said I needed to tell you. Everyone stopped. They were staring at him. His dad looked particularly concerned. What man? Uh, he, he was stood next to me on our way into Douglas. He just told me that there wasn't a storm coming. You didn't see him because you were shouting at Rory. Rory punched him in the arm. Ow! What was that for? Rory! Rory pushed her way out of the room. Ashley found his dad's finger pointed right at his nose. You do not talk to strangers. Understood? Actually, he didn't understand at all. It just didn't make any sense. He hadn't even talked to strangers. Strangers had talked to him. Probably because they were wondering why he was on his own. Why was he getting told off for this? This man. What did he look like? He was huge. Big beard, bushy eyebrows. And he was wearing a big yellow coat. Is that right? Granny became transfixed on the horizon behind the wide kitchen window. Behind her eyes, Ashley saw memories crash like waves. Well, maybe we can close those windows for now, if it's vexing you. Granny slapped a mound of mashed potatoes onto a plate right next to him. That one's for your father. Do you know him, Granny? The man? No, boy. Can't say that I do anymore. You've been listening to Mona's Isle. To get in touch or learn more about the magic, myths and making of the podcast, go to monasisle.im or find us on Facebook or Instagram at Mona's Isle. Subscribe to join us next time as the adventure continues in episode three, Spuds and Herring. This episode of the Mona's Isle podcast was created by me, Kyle Withington, with the support of the Isle of Man Arts Council and Culture Vannin. It features an original score by David Kilgallen. Our script was edited by Catherine Thornley, recorded by David Armstrong and Lewis Withington, and edited by Joseph Maddock. The characters in this episode were voiced by Alice Smith, Joseph Jennings, Tony Eccles, Sonia Callan, and Chris Kane. Thank you for listening, and the full show notes are available on our website.